0: The May test comes. We're two days past Madeline's due date. I think a week or two, or even two weeks before like the actual birth of a child, my wife was going through contractions. And so she was literally having contractions like in the kitchen while I'm taking the LSAT on my computer a room and a half away. And so I'm taking the test. I'm handling the stress well. I've been practicing meditation. I've been doing mindfulness so I know how to do breathing and stuff. And halfway through RC, I hear my son fall off his high chair, and I hear, boom! And he just starts screaming. I was like, oh my god. You know, if he has to go to the hospital, this test is done. You know, like, I, I'm just, like, there's no way that I'm going to consider finishing this test. We just have to go.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Seven Stage Podcast. I'm JY Ping, and today I speak with Seven Stager Mark who scored a 169 on his October 2020 flex test. This was his third official score obtained after studying for over a year. Mark talks about the stresses of studying while working a full-time job and having a family with small children. Without further ado, I give you Seven Sager Mark. I have Seven Sager Mark here with me. Mark, welcome to the podcast.
0: JY, thanks for having me. I love the community, have enjoyed using the website, and I'm kind of sad to be going.
1: Well, I hope we'll get to keep you for as long as you'll stick around. I know you're still waiting to hear back from schools, but we'll get to that. First, let's start with the fact that you are a self-proclaimed non-traditional applicant. So maybe you can just tell us what do you mean by that? What makes you non-traditional?
0: Yeah, so I'm 31 years old, and I'm married with a a two-and-a-half-year-old. Just for frame of reference, this is March 2021. So he's two and a half as of today. And then I have a 10-month-old who was born two days after the May flex test. So (laughs) she, yeah, I'll never forget the date of the May flex test because, you know, two days before her birthday. And then I'm also working full-time, which kind of goes without saying if you're supporting a family, but I thought I'd mention it anyways. What do you do? I am a trilingual translator for the army. I translate Korean and Arabic, and then I'm, you know, native in English.
1: Wow. How long have you been working as a translator?
0: For about six years. Straight out of college, I was thinking I would do State Department work. And so I started teaching myself Korean, thought it'd be a really cool, you know, place to go live and pick up the language. So this is kind of a funny story. I became fluent in Korean Mm -hmm. and then joined the army to be a Korean linguist. And this is kind of where the necessary assumption work comes in. I was thinking, yeah, it's obvious. If I'm fluent in Korean, they'll give me Korean. Uh-huh. And they said, why don't you learn Arabic? And I said, oh my God, are you serious? And they said, yeah, you have to.
1: Yeah. Cause you know, learning Korean prepares you super well for learning Arabic, right? The two <laughs> languages are like super similar. I guess what they had in mind was like, well, this guy knows languages. So if he can learn Korean, then let's see if you can learn Arabic as well.
0: Yeah, it was kind of like a, a, I guess you could say a step of faith on their part, but I think it was also a little bit lazy, but it turned out for the better. So I I don't complain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then how did the transition, how did the career change come about? What made you want to pursue law?
0: So I was working in the tax center on the base that I work at. I work at Fort Gordon in Augusta. And we have a tax center that comes about every year from like January through April. And I was preparing taxes for hundreds of these veterans and their families. Just on a volunteer basis? Yeah, we still work full time. So it's like our, it becomes our job. But yeah, as a full time thing, like we do free taxes for people.
1: Oh, okay. And you just learned how to do taxes and they were like, you should do this?
0: Yeah, they put us through, I want to say it's a a TCE, like tax tax care for the elderly or tax prep center for the elderly or Uh something. And then, yeah, we work as a volunteer site. So we can do military taxes, elderly people's taxes, like pretty much anything but business taxes. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so they put us through this like two week IRS training course. So I was doing tax preparation for people and I realized that people really don't understand how taxes work. They're not informed on the incentive programs that are available for them. And I thought, you know, a lawyer who's well-knowledged in tax regulation, who can simplify the tax preparation process, that would be super useful. And it would help a huge number of people. I want to say Professor Joe Bankman out of Stanford. He had something called Ready to Return back like 10, 12 years ago. And it was going to super simplify taxes for low-income people in California. Mm -hmm. And then... I believe a conglomerate kind of got together and shut it down because it was gonna affect their business, but something similar to that where you're helping people prepare taxes kind of on a mass basis.
1: Cool. Yeah. No, I, I think I remember what you're talking about and I believe it was Intuit, the TurboTax people.
0: Yes, it was. But yeah. anyway,
1: cool. Okay. So you decided that you want to transition into the law. You uh naturally realized you had to study for the LSAT. You did. And if I have it here, you have three official LSAT scores on record. First was in November of 2019, 155. And then yes. May of 2020, which is a flex test, uh, 166. Yeah. And then most recently and your final score that you applied with October 2020, 169. Also flex test.
0: Yes. Great. Okay. Yes. So let's
1: get into LSAT studies, LSAT prep. Tell us about how you prepared. I mean, how did you improve from a 155 to a 169 in roughly a one year period? I presume you studied for more than just a year. I presume you studied before you even took that first November 2019 test.
0: Yeah, that's correct. So I started studying March 2019. And at first, I just bought a test book and started working through it. And very shortly after, I started working through Mike Kim's LSAT trainer. I thought that that gave me a really good fundamental idea of what was going on on the LSAT, but I felt like it didn't really hit the nuanced aspects of the test. And so I finished that. And I have to say too, I did not take a diagnostic test because it would have been so low, I wouldn't have gotten the support from basically the people who I would have needed support from to continue studying.
1: I see. So it was strategic that you did not take it, Yeah, diagnostic. it was.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very good. They were like, what's your Diag score? I was like, oh, I didn't take one. <laughs> so, you know, at the time we were thinking 20 point increase max, you know, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. So I strategically kept my like mid 130, low 140 score to myself, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so no diagnostic. I'm studying And I just started really enjoying the test. Like, you know, I'm learning all these things about conditional logic and I'm listening to YouTube videos, still haven't found Mm 7Sage. I go through some online LR curriculum and then I believe in August, a few months before the November test, I found 7Sage and I started doing the core curriculum. And I bet you've heard this a hundred times, JY, but I rushed through it, didn't really (laughs) glean as much as I should have. No, you're the first one. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. But I had to keep going back to the core curriculum so many times. So you can either go through it once thoroughly or 15 times, you know, just coming back again (laughs) and again. Yeah. So I had deluded myself into thinking I'm at the 160 point, you know, I'm going to go into this November test. I'm going to do great. It's going to get me my 160 test that I need to get into my regional school, which would have been UGA, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe if I got lucky, it would have been Emory. And I still remember thinking, maybe I'll just get lucky and get a 180, you know? Wow. Yeah. Luck
1: into a 180. I don't (laughs) know if that's ever happened in the history of the test. No. But you wouldn't be the first to indulge in that kind of thinking. I mean, I do it sometimes too. Haven't seen a 180 (laughs) yet, but...
0: (laughs) You're probably not 30 points off though, like I would have been. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And, And the way I think about that now is like, I hope I get lucky. And throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and strike out a pro baseball player. Like, you know, (laughs) it's a skill. It's not a guessing game. Yeah.
1: Okay. So then you took the November 2019 test with a 155. That was after you studied with Seven Sage, right? Yes. Okay.
0: I had just finished the core curriculum. Okay. Okay.
1: So you hadn't done too many prep
0: tests. No, I want to say I had not even done like a full length timed prep test. And this kind of plays back into the family piece. I don't think that I had three and a half hours as a block at pretty much any point in time during my whole prep. And we're talking about a span of like two years. Right.
1: Because you, you already had a child at that point and you were working a full time job.
0: Yes. My two and a half year old now, his name is Grayson. Grayson would have been... About a year old he would have been just at at about a year old, okay,
1: okay, yeah, was he sleeping through the night or
0: he was he was sleeping through the night, yeah some kids aren't by one, which is yeah. crazy, but yeah, he was you know, I have two kids now, and just to say a quick note, their temperaments are night and day <laughs> it's crazy, so he's been challenging and he's been a huge you know, point of learning for my wife and me. And it, it's been like a very hard learning curve, but we love him so much. And he's just had a very challenging temperament. But our daughter, Madeline, she's totally different. We call her the box baby, you know, like you could just put her in a box and she'll be happy with herself all day. And we don't do that, of course, but, you know, <laughs> of course. just to get the expression across. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Okay. So it must've been really challenging, not, you know, like you said, even being able to put together a chunk of three hours to study in a day. What did you do? How did you find the time to study? So
0: I would wake up early and to remind the listener, I still am on active duty in the army. So I'd wake up at 5.30 and go to physical training. And I had intentionally tried to get a score to get exempted out. Like my company had a policy where if you score really well, you don't have to go to do the training. And so I did that to get exemption so I could study in the morning. From about seven to nine, so wake up at five thirty, five forty-five. Study at work from seven to nine. Uh-huh. Work from nine to lunch, and throughout the day, like I always take ten-minute breaks, pretty much on the hour. You know, I think it's just good focus practice. Yeah, but I would just like during those ten-minute breaks, I just run down to the gym, do a quick set, come back, you know, upstairs or downstairs, and that way I could study through lunch. And still get my workout in, eat at my desk. You know, I don't know if these are great professional practices, but this is kind of the uh, creative time management that I had to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, you do what you have to do. I I always tell people who have to study while they work that it's much better to study first thing in the morning before you go to work than after your work. Because, you know, I'm usually pretty tired in the evening after working all day. So if you know that law school is the serious thing, and so therefore LSAT is the serious thing, you should put your best hours into it. That's great. Did you start out like that or did you eventually have to transition into a shift my LSAT study into the morning kind of approach?
0: I want to say I started that approach about the same time that I found Seven Sage, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit earlier, but I heard somebody say something really clever. They said third place goes to a genius, second place goes to a hard worker, and first place goes to a hardworking genius. Yeah, I've kind of always self-identified as number two. <laughs> so, uh, you know, definitely not a genius, but I think I can work hard to make up for it. And so that's kind of what I relied on throughout the studying process.
1: Nice. Okay. So tell us about your studying that took you up to May 2020, where you got the
0: 166 flex. Yes. So a lot changed after my 155, because, you know, again, I'm living in this delusion (laughs) that no one else lives in but me, apparently, you know, thinking I was going to score like five, 10 points higher. Than your prep test? Yeah, yeah.
1: So were you prep testing around like mid 150s at that point?
0: I think so. What I was doing is I was like taking one timed section and then scoring it. And then taking another time section of scoring it and just lumping all of them oh, together. No.
1: Oh my that's no <laughs> blasphemy.
0: My God. Yeah, it's yeah. If we were uh, still
1: burning people at the stake, Mark.
0: <laughs> I would Mark, be the first to doing? go. I would Yeah, I would I'd jump on because geez, that's not the way to do <laughs> that it. That is not um, the way to do it. No, you know, it's like you take one and you're like, Yeah, that was a good section. I'll come back next week and you know, do another. Yeah, not the way to do it. And so this is the neatest thing, though, is I got the test back. And, you know, that was a written test. So you get your scores. It was a disclosed test. And this was unbelievable. I had gone minus 10 in both LR sections. Okay. And so I was like, no, that's got to be wrong. Like, it's a fluke. So I retook the test. No kidding. I got every single one of those questions wrong again. Yeah. Wow. All 20 of them. Yeah.
1: That's when you feel like, okay, the LSAT really knows what it's doing. I mean, I have the same experience too. If enough time passes and I'm not like seriously studying, I'll just get the same questions wrong again. Like the same reason why I Mm -hmm. got it wrong the first time. Like if I haven't done anything to change the way I think about stuff, you know, my brain is still wired the same way. Then yeah. What do I expect will happen? I'm just going to get the same results.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of why you can't luck into a 180 too.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: At the time, you know, I got all 20 questions wrong again, the exact same ones. I was so furious and so disappointed. And I was like, no way. And I knew immediately, I was like, you know what, something has to change because, you know, my approach hasn't gotten me the results that I was thinking of. And so I started working with a tutor. I started taking my prep more seriously. And I started applying for accommodations too. And just to kind of inform the listener too. So I've been in the army for six years, almost seven years, and I have herniated discs, which is, it it means that your spinal discs are dislocated or kind of out of place in my upper and lower back. And so I have a lot of neck pain, lots of back pain. And so I really can't sit still and focus for very long without having to get up and stretch and walk around. And so this led me to applying for accommodations. Mm -hmm. And so... LSAC was super helpful, very friendly. They gave me plus 50% time. So now instead of 35 minutes, we're talking about 53 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then they also gave me the ability to start and stop the test whenever I needed to get up and stretch my back and walk around so that the pain wouldn't detract from my focus on the test. And so I had a tutor and the names of the tutors, I spoke with them. They said that they'd be happy if I specified who they were so i'll try to put those names in the link below sure who are they it was b-town squee and then i don't remember his email is houston lsat but i don't remember his seven sage handle i'll have to get that
1: okay that's fine yeah we'll, we'll just put it in the yeah. show notes later yeah okay yeah. go on so
0: you worked with the tutor so I i was working with these two tutors and so i was working with the first one and what he did is he really helped me see kind of the patterns and the repeating archetypes of rc passages you know how you'll see like yeah you know what i'm talking about like you'll have one where it's a science passage and they're saying you know here's a phenomenon here are three different people's interpretation of the phenomenon i think number three is right and here's why so identifying repeating archetypes and the reason that having a tutor was so helpful for me is because they were able to see the patterns of mistakes. That I wasn't catching myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A few of those big patterns were close reading. So I'd be reading like an LR passage and I would, you know, kind of be caught by the bait of having similar words at the beginning and the end. And I would say, oh, yeah, well, they're the same thing when it's really a subtle distinction in wording that really changes the direction of the question. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so that referential phrasing was a huge one for me grammar too was actually really hard. You know, being a linguist, I thought that I'd have a head up, but not only did I not have a head up on grammar, there's an RC passage where it's talking about the San Francisco dialect. Did I talk with you about that one before, JY? I don't think so. Oh, okay. So it's the one about the San Francisco dialect. I had no idea what they were talking about (laughs) when I did the time test. Absolutely no idea. Uh Yeah,
1: I know. Sometimes having some expert knowledge in some area might be a bit misleading because the outside writers tend to pick passages that are esoteric enough yeah so that no one is unfairly advantaged by having seen the passage already yeah right so either it's like old enough or it's like from a niche enough <laughs> academic journal yeah right so if you have like outside knowledge you should not be lulled into a sense of false security Right. I think the best mm-hmm. way to use outside knowledge is just that, you know, allows you to engage with the language a lot better, yeah. right? Like whatever it is that they're talking about, you have at least some molds, pre-existing molds in your mind to fit that language onto versus someone who is completely new to it. Right. But yeah, definitely should not be lulled into a sense of overconfidence. Yeah. But anyway. Okay. So you got some good tips on RCLR. You started taking prep tests correctly i hope
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think they were more correct than the other ones okay yeah i still don't think that i had like the full block of time but i was getting closer i think right right. what i was doing is i would take two sections back to back timed because i want to say i had two hours like in a block but not three or four
1: right right but at least it More closely approached the accommodated timing yes situation that that you had right so you could like break if you needed to yes yeah I think really that's the key it's to take prep tests as if they're real outside Mm -hmm. administration so whatever Mm -hmm. constraints you're under there right those are the constraints you should be working with okay so all this led up to the May 2020 test
0: yes but there was a little bit more that happened in between so I started really taking my prep seriously and I started developing a very rigorous blind review. And so what this looked like is, and I'm sharing the uh, blind review templates that I have for logic reasoning and for RC. What it looks like is having a specific strategy. And this is something that I worked with my second tutor, B-Town Squee. She really helped me develop a very specific strategy. And I want to say Sammy in her webinar too, she really had a very strict, rigorous strategy, Mm -hmm. even down to like, what do I do on a 50-50? And mine never got that detailed, but I think that would have been really beneficial if it had. Right. So I'm developing like a more rigorous blind review. And at this point, I want to say my blind review was in the low 170s. My PT was like in the mid 160s. And I swear to God, I do this again and again. I'm like... I'm PTing like at 165, which really means 170. (laughs) And so I'd hype myself up again. And a few other things I was doing too. You know, my prep really took a fundamental change. I had implemented a timing strategy. Oh, good. Yes. Josh and I think his name was Mike Ross on the Uh forums. Yeah. They did an excellent webinar and I took good notes. And so I'm sharing the explanation of a timing strategy too, but... One of my students, about a year later, at the time I was tutoring, fast forward to 2020, one of my students implemented a timing strategy, and he literally made his score jump from like a 140 to mid to high 150s. Just on that alone. Yeah. Which is just mind blowing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can't just take whatever question the LSAT writers give you in order and just, you know, slog your way through. That's inefficient, right? You have to be very selective about which questions you want to answer. They're all worth a point but they're not of all equal difficulty, meaning they don't all demand the same amount of time, right? So you have to be very strategic in like how you spend your most valuable resource, which is the time that's a lot of you. So just switching up timing strategy, like having one to begin with versus not having one makes all the difference.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And JY, this was something really, really interesting is I had a lot of time one day and I said, I'm going to you know, write down how long it takes me to do these questions. And I graphed how long it takes me to do a question. And then, if I get it right or wrong. Yeah. And almost, I think it was like 85% of the questions that took me longer than three minutes, I got wrong.
1: Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Like the length of time you spend on a question is actually a pretty good indicator of the difficulty of the question. Therefore, it's a good indicator of the likelihood of whether you're going to get it right. And by that, I mean, you're not going to get it right.
0: Exactly. Because it's a
1: hard question. Like people tend not to get hard questions right. I'm guessing that was before the digital testing days. Nowadays, people don't really have to do that anymore. After the test, there's a timing report that we automatically generate for you, which is great. I mean, it's yeah. the same thing, right? If, like, if we look at aggregate statistics, it's the same. Like We can look at the length of time people spend on a question, and that's a good predictor of whether they got that question right or wrong, right? I mean, yeah. it happens. You spend 30 seconds on a question, you, you get it wrong. That happens, right? We call those overconfidence errors. But the trend is not like that. The trend is that the less time you spend the more likely you're going to get it right. The more time you spend, the more likely you're going to get it wrong. And that's where you need to have timing strategies in place, right? Like you can't be spending all this time just to get a question wrong. You need to know when to let go, right? When to save the rest of the time, spread it out
0: on other questions to improve your odds. Yeah. And what you said about the 30 second, like overconfidence thing, that was reflected in my study too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if I spent 20 to 30 seconds on a question, I want to say I was right, 60% 60% of the time, uh, which, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement there, but the sweet spot was like 35 or 40 seconds to about a minute 20.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. There's a sweet spot for everybody. Great. That's, yeah. It sounds like you've actually changed a lot in terms of how you studied. So it's yes. not surprising that your score did
0: go up in May. I believe I was studying about four hours a day plus full-time work. So it was rigorous. But I made a lot of improvements. But here's something, too, is I remember around Christmas, when I would get a question wrong, it felt like the LSAT was, like, punching me. You know, like, metaphorically, like, it felt like a blow to the stomach. Okay, yeah. And what I think that was a really good indicator of was that I just needed to take a break. You know, I, I think everybody burns out. Okay, so you took a break around Christmas. Uh huh. And I really needed it. Like, it was a hard year. Again, we had a one-year-old my wife was pregnant. I was testing. I had had a mentally draining year studying. I really just needed to take a step back. Yeah. And so I did. Come January, I just kind of started afresh. I changed tutors. You know, I started working with B-Town Squee, who was an awesome tutor. She's at the University of Michigan right now, you know, kicking ass, doing a great job. (laughs) Very happy for her. And, you know, just changing things up made a huge difference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Okay, so lead up to May, you're working with B-TownSquay and you're just prepping, getting back into it, recover from burnout.
0: Yes. And so I had signed up for the April test because I was thinking, you know, my daughter, Madeline, her due date was May 18th. So not even the 20th, which was the day of the test. It was two days early, two days before that. Yeah. Right. And so I'm thinking, yeah, April's going to be the sweet spot for me. Yeah. And I'm going to try again for this fall for October. Right. And that was going to be my final take was going to be October 2020. Right. Things don't always go according to plan. <laughs> uh-huh. April test gets canceled as we all know and they're like, "Okay, you can't do April, you've got to take the May test." And I was like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me?" <laughs> and so, it was the first LSAT Flex test, wasn't it?
1: Yes, I believe it was.
0: Yeah. So, it was going to be the first test. I contacted LSAC and I was like, "Hey, my wife is due and honestly i asked the unreasonable in retrospect it's unreasonable at the time it seemed okay but i said hey can i take the test a week early and they said no of course which you know is completely <laughs> fair right you know and so i was like at this point the stress i don't know exactly how to explain it like it just started seeming silly mm. Like, it wasn't the fact that I was, like, stressed and, like, throwing up in the bathroom because I was, like, so stressed out, like, you know, some people do before getting cold called on uh, (laughs) in Mm -hmm. law school, but it just seemed silly. I was like, this is ludicrous. And it honestly took an edge off of the stress because I realized, and this is kind of a principle that I take with me even now, is that if there's an emergency, necessary condition is there's an ambulance. If there's no ambulance, there's no emergency. So the fact that I was freaking out about this test, you know, it was not an emergency. And that really took the stress away, you know, a good bit.
1: Yeah. You mean like emergency in terms of your wife?
0: Yeah. Kind of like an emergency in terms of like, I guess that feeling stressed out that this test was not going to go according to plan. Oh, I I was, I was, yeah, I was treating the situation like, oh my gosh, this is an emergency. This is something terrible. I've got to fix this. Kind of like that.
1: Eventually the May test came and you took it, right?
0: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The May test comes. We're two days past Madeline's due date. I think a week or two, or even two weeks before like the actual birth of a child, my wife was going through contractions. And so she was literally having contractions like in the kitchen while I'm taking the LSAT on my computer, a room Mm -hmm. and a half away. And so I'm taking the test. I'm handling the stress well. I'm, I've been practicing meditation. I've been doing mindfulness. So I know how to do breathing mm-hmm. and stuff. And halfway through RC, I hear my son fall off his high chair and I hear boom and he just starts screaming. I was like, oh my God. You know, if he has to go to the hospital, this right. test is done. You know, like I, I'm just like, there's no way that I'm going to consider right. finishing this test. We just have to go. So, did you
1: tell the proctor you needed? to handle something?
0: No, I didn't even pause the test. I think Sammy did it too when she found out she had a bubbling air. You know, you just take two deep breaths, settle yourself, and then you just keep going. Right. And I did okay, and Grayson was fine. He bonked his head. Hopefully not many lost brain cells, but we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) And so the test keeps going, and I did great. I got a 166, which was about what I was genuinely you know, that, that's about what my skill was at the time. Right. And, you know, two days later we had Maddie and, you know, things were just really, really great. And so we, you know, got the score back a month later and this is where the test kind of became more than a test for me. Uh huh. 166 was 93rd percentile. I'm really happy about that. But I was like, I'm so close to hitting 170. Yeah. You know, what if I could get into Stanford. What if I could get into Harvard or, you know, even Yale? And two out of three of those have already rejected me this cycle, but I'm still have my fingers crossed for Stanford. Right, right. And so I was like, you know what? I'm so close. Why not keep pushing? You know, I had never really shown myself as like an academically strong, capable student. I have three brothers and I really feel like they kind of got more attention for the academic achievement, academic accolades. Because they deserved it. I just never had proven myself or, or done anything to kind of deserve the same academic confidence. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, here's my chance to kind of prove to myself that I can do something that I didn't think I could. And so at this point, I thought, you know, if I break 170, this is going to be a monumental thing for me. So I got back into it. And the way that things changed from here were I joined a study group on Seven Sage. Okay. Okay. And that was huge. We started going through RC kind of in a different way, where we would read the passage as a group. And then after a paragraph, we would look back and say, okay, what was the author's tone? What was the author's opinion? Or, or, you know, were there any opinions? And then what part in the argument structure is this paragraph doing? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, really just kind of digging deep into the structure. Okay. So, Here I am at the third take, you know, leading up to October 2020, and I had taken, I believe it was two or three months off after Maddie was born. So that would have been May, June, July. Uh So about August, August, September, October, about August, I'm getting back into studying. And at this point, I'm genuinely hitting like low 170s, so about a 172, 173. I'm BRing at a 180 or high 170s, and I was really feeling confident. You know, I was really feeling good. And I had spent so much time working on LR and RC that I had kind of neglected logic games. And so we go into the third test in October, and I chose to test at a friend's house. You know, I had my snacks. I'd studied at his house for a week before. Mm-hmm. I took a week off work. and. I was really, you know, feeling really good about this. And my goal confidence score, and I'll I'll leave a link to what that is too and how to do it. But my confidence score was a minus two or a minus three in LR mm-hmm. and then a minus two in RC. So feeling pretty good about those. And then I had been foolproofing games for a long time. Yeah. And I had been at minus zero for, I, I think, since even the May take. Yeah. So we go into the test and... Nobody was pregnant this time.
1: (laughs) And your son, Grayson, had no idea where you were.
0: Yeah, Grayson's probably freaking out. He's like, oh my gosh, where's dad? But no, uh, (laughs) you know, no two-year-old's going to fall off the high chair. That you'll Um, know about. I guess that's like, what is that, a domain shift? If I'm not there to see it, it didn't happen. (laughs) But yeah, and and so like I'm taking this test and, you know, to remind the listener, I have accommodation. So this is not an hour and a half test. This is a three-hour test.
1: Right. 53 minutes over three sections. And you got a break in between, I presume?
0: Yes. Yes. I had, I want to say it was an extended break. Mm-hmm. So a 30 minute break, which I don't actually know if that's great. I probably would have preferred a 15 minute break, but mm-hmm. you know, 30 minutes, you just kind of get out of your flow. Mm-hmm. You know, I had done so much preparation and stuff, and I had neglected basic fundamentals of logic games, which. What I mean here is, is in conditional logic, you know, you'll have if A, then B. I had forgotten how to contrapose if A, then B, then C, then D. Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing great through the games and I hit a game. It was supposed to be game four. That was like the curve breaker, super hard game in the uh, October test. Okay. And so I hit game three and I was like, what the hell is going on? I didn't really know how to do it. (laughs) Uh-huh. And so I skipped it, which I think is the right thing to do. Yeah. And I got to game four, and I was like, "Man, this is easy." And I went back to game three, and I was like, running out of time, and I was feeling a bit fatigued, which I should not have felt fatigued because if I'd have been prepping correctly, you know, you prep it at least as long as the test is, if not more, you know, build up stamina. Right. And so I'm feeling fatigued, and I'm like, I remember the clock was ticking down from like ten seconds. And for the first time in probably a year or more, I was like, I have to guess on an LG question. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so I see like the timer ticking down and I'm like, you know, saying all these swear words of profanities in my mind. And I'm like, this is going to like knock me out of the 170s. And so I just clicked an answer. And, you know, who's to say if I got that answer right or wrong, but.
1: You just guessed well, one question.
0: Yeah. Just one question. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's not terrible.
0: No. Yeah.
1: That's not terrible. Yeah. 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 But you don't know because they don't release the flex. So you don't know like whether you got it right. You don't know whether you got all the other questions right. I mean, it's it's possible that, you know, you missed other questions that you deliberately chose the answers for.
0: Exactly. Yeah. 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 I could have gone like minus zero on LG and minus five on, you know, R C and L R. You know, and you're right, there's no telling. Looking back again, you know, Steve Jobs said he said like the dots only connect when you look backwards. Yeah. If I had had kind of the foresight at that point, I would have been like, I thought that my testing was going to be done now, but I just need to schedule like three or four more flex tests (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because, you know, if you get lucky, you know, you might score a 172. If you get unlucky, like I think that I was, you know, with no real proof, you get knocked out of a 171 down to a 169, which in this cycle in particular, I think is a pretty significant thing. Right.
1: Okay. So that was the test. The October twenty twenty test was when you got your one sixty nine in. Yes. And that's your high score that you applied with. Yes. Is it just because you didn't schedule? I mean, I feel like you probably could have scheduled other tests if you really wanted to. Yes. Some part of you just like I'm. I'm.
0: I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. There was a few different things, and that's a really good point to bring up. There were a few things going on why I didn't keep scheduling tests. The most important one was family. The test had taken a lot of time yeah. and a lot of attention away from the family. You know, I admit like at that time, I really had my priorities wrong. You know, family was not coming first at that point, like it should have, you know, to be honest, like mm-hmm. the way that my wife and I work are dynamic, that, you know, family needs to be the top priority. And it, it wasn't. And so I really just had to take a step back and say, this is what it is. And I'm not going to be able to schedule anymore. And I think right now. I may be signed up for the May test this year. Oh, to be honest. Okay. I may have, I may have signed up and I just don't remember.
1: <laughs> okay. But you have no plans of taking it or you'll see?
0: I'll see. Yeah. I'm taking Sammy's advice of like not telling anyone to the next level. Like not even I remember. So, <laughs> yeah. It, next level. Sammy, I yeah. took your advice and I'm doing more with it.
1: You know, 169 is a great score. You didn't break 170 like you wanted to, but still, like 169. Percentile wise is what, 97th percentile? 96th, yeah. 96th, okay. So that's a great score. And you applied with that score to a bunch of schools?
0: Yes. In October, I sent in, I think it was 20 applications. And I think almost every school gives a fee waiver for military. Okay. And so I really wanted to apply widely. And I heard back from UGA the first, and they offered a pretty good merit scholarship. Yeah. That would have been like my local go-to. And then I was accepted at Emory and Notre Dame with nice. significant scholarships. And then I've been waitlisted. So from January, I started getting the waitlists. Okay. So I've been waitlisted at UCLA, Penn, Northwestern, Georgetown, and Michigan, which are awesome schools. I don't want to sound like I'm whining about a 169. It's a true dream to be able to achieve something that I never thought I could have. It's been a real dream to be able to say like confidently, yeah, I think I can do well academically. And so I have yet to hear from five more schools, but I was rejected at Yale, Harvard. You know, I was really shocked that Yale didn't take me for some reason, you know, Uh, (laughs) they take everybody. Yeah. You know, (laughs) me without my Nobel Peace Prize, you know, they, they said no. So Yale, Harvard, Chicago, Berkeley, and then oh. one more. I, I can't remember. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah, they said no, so why does it matter? Yeah. It sounds like
1: you applied to all the T fourteens and then some.
0: Yes. All the T fourteens, UCLA okay. and Notre okay. Dame and Emory. Great.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, Emory with a uh, significant scholarship is amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very happy about that.
1: UGA, Notre Dame, both are really good schools too, but You know, if you're waiting to hear back from some other schools, right, aside from
0: the waitlist schools, are you waiting to hear back from some other schools? Yes. I'm waiting to hear back from NYU, Columbia, UVA, and then the other two that didn't reject me. Don't remember who they are. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the the cycle's not over yet. Yeah. I I think that the waitlist is going to be more used this year in contrast to others, you know, if predictions are accurate.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Do you have an idea of
0: what it is that you want to do after law school? Yes. You know, yes, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, the plan is to go into tax, which, J.Y., you might be able to speak to this, but I've heard that if you go to a T14, you don't really have to do a tax LLM.
1: I would guess that's true because I know just from anecdotally that people that I knew in law school or people that I knew from, you know, when I summered at the firm they were able to get into tax departments, right? And they just had JDs at law yeah. firms. Right? Tax is supposed to be considered more intellectual corporate law that you can practice at a law firm.
0: That sounds good. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's really complicated. One of the associate that recruited me to the first firm that I summered at, my one hour summer, she was a tax associate. And listening to her explain her work was what convinced me that I actually don't want to do tax. Oh, really? <laughs> so it was, it was hard. It was really yeah. hard.
0: <laughs> Man, yeah. I've, you know, obviously never been a tax lawyer. So I, I guess I'll yeah. email you in a few years and tell you how it is. But I mean, you know, you're talking about
1: like very complex tax for yeah. very complex organizations. I remember taking a tax law class in law school. It was really interesting. Do you know if it had a lot of math involved in it? Yeah, there's some, you know, you don't need to know calculus. Right. But like you need to know arithmetic and also probably the hardest math is some algebra.
0: Yeah. I'll have to involve my wife in my uh, tax law practice because she's good at math and I'm (laughs) not that bad at reading and writing. So
1: (laughs) we'll see. Well, let's end the conversation on a note about what you've been up to since applications are in. Are you just hanging out, spending good time with the family, waiting to hear back?
0: Are you still involved with LSAT at all? So I've been tutoring a little bit for free, just to friends who are interested in it. I think that the resources and strategies that I've been able to gather could be very helpful for people, you know, in their own LSAT journey. And yeah, I've been watching a lot of TV with my kids. (laughs) You know, it's nice to be able to have that time just to spend with them. And I really treasure it because, you know, once I go to law school and afterwards, you know, it it might not be a luxury that I have as often anymore.
1: That's true. Yeah. Law school is going to be busy. You know, if you go into corporate law, it's going to be even busier.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to share your experience
0: with us. Yeah, JY, thank you so much. And, you know, I wish everybody the best of luck on 7Sage. And it really is the best resource available, period. Well, thank you for saying so.
1: Well, make sure to include the resources that you've gathered in the show notes below. People can find it there.
0: Awesome. All
1: right. Well, take care, Mark.
0: Yeah. Thank you, JY.
1: Hi, everyone. It's JY again thanks for listening. I hope Mark's story about studying for the test gave you some ideas to implement in your own studies. If you are prepping for the test, applying to law school, studying for your law school exams, or studying for the bar, come visit us at 7 We can help. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.